You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mark Bedard. Today, super excited to talk to Rocky Voria about the evolution of the digital sales development role. Rocky joined IBM in 2019 to lead the digital sales development function globally. Upon joining IBM, Rocky spearheaded the initiative focused on simplifying, modernizing, and evolving the DSD function. The overall charter was to scale a highly productive digital development engine that generated leads, drove customer acquisition, and improved yield. Rocky has a strong passion for advancing women in sales and millennials in business and regularly shares her thoughts on those topics by speaking at conferences and writing publications in Forbes as a member of the Forbes Business Development Council. Rocky, you know I'm really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. This is excellent. And I think during this one, we're going to do these a little different on this, this go around, Rocky, right? We're not going to really structure it the same. This is more a, a walkthrough, if you will, about the role, how it evolved. And, and you're going to give us a lot of your context here um, at IBM in terms of developing that from really the ground up. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Excellent. So where do we start? Well, I can tell you a little bit about my background and the team I lead at IBM. (laughs) So I uh, manage a global team that's responsible for the strategy, implementation, and revenue of the digital sales development function at IBM. We have a few hundred digital sales development sellers globally. They drive client engagement, deal progression, and closure of select deals. So we manage, you know, the inbound that's coming in through IBM web pages or events or webinars or trials. And we also do outbound prospecting focused on specific offerings or new logos or account-based marketing initiatives. Uh, I've been at IBM for almost two years. I was previously at Microsoft where I spent seven years in various roles at the company. In my last role there, I helped Microsoft build a new inside sales force as the chief of staff to the corporate vice president of inside sales. So I was one of the first employees on that team, helped grow it to about 2,000 inside sellers globally. So I'm very passionate about the field of digital or inside sales, accelerating the transformation of sales as a function in general. Um, And as you know, I'm also hugely passionate about getting more women and diverse candidates in general in the sales profession. So really delighted to be here to talk about some of these things today and look forward to our discussion. Excellent. I I appreciate it very much. And uh, obviously, you you have the pedigree, um, you know, coming from Microsoft and now at IBM rolling out these massive uh, digital sales development teams. What's, I guess... You know, talk on the personal level, Rocky, because I know we've we've had a couple conversations, and I, I know you're very passionate, certainly um, 
about, you know, like we said in the intro, advancing women in sales. Uh, but what, what specifically is exciting to you about the digital sales development function? There are two things that really excited me about leading this global function. I mean, first, I might be biased, but I personally think that sales development is the best sales role and the hardest sales role of all. But a lot of people don't realize that. Um, But at any given company, your sales development reps are typically the first line of communication that a prospect will ever have with your company. They're the ones qualifying the leads, developing them, making sure they get to the right sales or technical resource Uh, to progress and close. But what excites me the most is that because sales development is at the front end of the funnel, it's basically the custodian of the IBM experience. The way that we interact with our prospects could make or break whether or not they want to purchase from us today or ever, depending on how the initial interaction goes. So I think because of that, we have this huge opportunity, but also a huge responsibility to delight our clients in every single interaction to determine what the overall IBM experience is gonna look like, which I think is really special, um, and why companies need to invest in building their sales development capability, make sure they have solid enablement, solid tools, solid feedback systems. But oftentimes I think companies make the mistake of over-rotating on all of those things for their enterprise sellers or for their field sellers, because those are the resources working on the largest accounts and opportunities. But sales development is is the bread and butter of your sales organization. It's such a foundational element as you think about customer acquisition, customer lifetime value, all those really important things. Um, and then the second thing that attracted me and excites me about this is um, I really had the opportunity to come in and evolve this function, as you mentioned. I mean, my background at Microsoft was helping them to build and scale their inside sales team. And I help with everything from hiring our first wave of sellers to providing input into the tools, playbooks, trainings, role structures, compensation models, really the foundational elements of the team. So I had experience on the build side, but this role at IBM has given me a chance to work with a team that already existed that had those elements, but figure out how to take it to the next level and how to evolve it, modernize it, simplify it in a way that delivered more value for the company. So it's been a fun journey. I love it. And I don't think anyone's going to argue with you when you're saying that the uh, development role is in particularly one of the most difficult sales roles at the organization. Anyone who's worked their way up through the sales ranks knows the grind uh, and, and the difficulty toward um, reaching out to the customers as to your, to your point, how you put it, the first line of defense um, there. It's, it's absolutely a demanding job and, and really a trial by fire position, I think in sales. Definitely. So you were talking about, the transformation of the function at IBM. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, when I came to IBM, the house was not on fire. Um, I inherited a credible team, but I was brought in to offer an outside-in perspective and to improve performance where it made sense. So like many people who start in a new role, my first order of business was learning from the team on the ground. So I spent you know, the first six months traveling the world, sitting side by side with our reps, with our managers to understand what was working, what wasn't, where they needed help, uh, sitting in on client calls, seeing the tools, having roundtables, really getting down to the nitty gritty. And through that, it became very clear, very fast that we had some super sharp, talented sellers 
who just weren't reaching their full potential because we were pulling them in so many different directions. They had so much on their plate between inbound, between outbound, between campaigns from global, campaigns from their geographies, from sales, from marketing. So we we knew we needed to crystallize the team's focus and build competence of skill across the team. So I think that internal listening tour helped me formulate some hypotheses and recommendations. But I also realized that it wasn't enough to just compare ourselves to ourselves. I think you know it's great to see progress and trend lines and, and look at our own historical performance. But our leadership is constantly challenging us to think about how we can get better in general and how we might be able to position IBM as the industry standard. Our uh, CMO often asks us a really powerful question. She says, you know, is this the best we can do? So I think a lot about that, but oftentimes to really know if it's the best you can do, you have to understand how you're doing across the industry. In general, I try to push myself to spend a lot of time in different external digital sales organizations as a way to share best practices and learn from peers in the industry. Um, So just kind of wanted to apply that same mentality to how we looked at this function at IBM. And so one of the other first things I did when I got here was I had someone on my team complete a pretty detailed analysis comparing IBM's digital sales development function to other similar roles across the industry. We looked at Gartner Reports, IDC, Forrester, BCG, across a variety of dimensions. Um, It was conversion rates, workload capacity, inbound versus outbound team, um, seller, tenure, education, skill levels, comp models. And we, we benchmarked ourselves against those industry standards and did a readout and everything. So a lot of those learnings is also what f- informed our strategy and paved the way to position the changes. That's some in-depth benchmarking. I don't think, yes. I don't think many, many uh, organizations go that deep into it, but I, I love it. I think that that's how, how do you know what you're trying to achieve if you don't know where you're at? Um, could, couldn't agree more with it. So what I guess what was some of the, the key learnings from that external benchmarking you guys did? On paper, IBM was within industry standards across every dimension, which was interesting. I mean, our marketing response conversion rates to opportunity were within industry standards. The benchmarking suggested, uh, you know, a daily capacity of about 45 to 50 contact attempts per day, which is what we were doing. Our sellers actually had more tenure than most sales development reps. So our average tenure is about two years, but the industry benchmarking is about 16 to 18 months for those types of roles. So we tend to have our team in a role longer than, than the industry. I mean, IBM's portfolio is quite complex, so not surprising. So overall, we were positioned fine, but going back to the question from our CMO, is this the best we can do? We knew we could do better. I mean, we knew we had to do better to stay competitive. I think right now things are are so competitive in the market right now. Um, So one of the things that really caught my eye from the benchmarking was the benefits of inbound versus outbound teams. Uh, Specifically, you know, I had mentioned earlier, we were asking the team to do a lot. They're trying to be everything to everyone. And when you do that, it's hard to really scale. So there was one report in particular, it was a Topo benchmark report, and it showed that 59% of the industry has moved to a model where they split the inbound and outbound activities. And uh, it seems to lead to better yield because you can really 
build confidence of skill. Um, inbound reps become more product savvy. Outbound reps really become the the people who are the hunters in your organization, for example. Um, so that was one of the changes that we implemented. But there were also some things we learned from the benchmarking that we didn't adopt. Um, for example, around compensation, a lot of the benchmarking suggests uh, weighting your compensation models more toward pipeline creation for sales development, not win revenue, because sales dev isn't responsible for progression and nurture. Um, we actually did the opposite. So uh, we adjusted our compensation to weight more heavily on win revenue than it had in the past. And the reason was because we were generating a lot of pipeline, but it wasn't converting to win revenue at the same rate of pace. And in order to drive more focus on that, we wanted to incentivize the team to care about that and to even close select deals. A lot of um, sales development teams in the industry aren't allowed to close deals, but at IBM, we've been steadily expanding that capability, adding more and more offerings each month that the team can close directly because it's also a better client experience if it's a simple transaction to just close it with one person versus being transferred to multiple people. So. Those are some of the areas that that really came out as part of the benchmarking. As you said, it was pretty extensive. I think we ended up with a 50-page white paper, um, but I refer oh, wow. to it really, really regularly because there were just so many good learnings. And I think, I think it really helps um, build that case for change internally when you can show a lot of the executive stakeholders how others are doing it. I, I love that. I mean, you guys are really looking at it from the lens that these SDRs, these uh, business development professionals, like their careers are going to be at IBM. Uh, it, it, it's really, you have a lot of foresight for doing that, right? You were talking about the SDR, almost promotion path, where you're saying, okay, these are going to be my hunters. These are going to be my CSMs or my account managers or whoever it happens to be. Um, from an early stage, you're already thinking about where their skill sets lie and aligning them to the career path that would make the most sense to them. I think that's that's awesome. And then further compounding it you, uh, by doubling down on the revenue piece. And I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we, we've had the exact same kind of experience where when we align the SDR to revenue, the same as uh, the account executive or the account manager or whoever else it happens to be, is also aligned to the same metrics. Um, it, it just makes it much simpler, right? You, you remove a lot of the false, um, a lot of the difficulties, I, I should say, uh, when, when creating opportunities or when uh, deals get pushed over, makes it very easy for them then to obviously transition into a quota carrying role, having already been focused on revenue for, uh, like you said, 18 months or two years or whatever it happens to be. Yep, absolutely. Love it. So it's, I mean, you've talked a little bit about some initiatives that have worked and, and have, uh, I guess, up-leveled uh, the organization. Are there any more? Do, should we hit on any more or do we cover a few? Um, I think those were some of the main ones. I mean, it was really around kind of splitting the role, building uh, competency in those areas, changing the activities to be more focused on progression, nurture, and even closure of select deals. Um, and also just, you know, since making those changes about a year ago, every month, every quarter, just adding things that are making the team more effective and more productive. So 
We've uh, taken a hard look at the tools. For example, we've brought in SalesLoft and deployed it across the entire organization um, to help you know, be a sales engagement platform for the team to really be more effective in their outreach, for example. We've tightened our SLAs so that we are actioning every single lead with greater speed and attention. We've made progress on our scoring model using data and AI to really route the best, highest propensity to convert type of workload to the team. So, um, you know, I think it's been just an overall journey over the past couple of years, but it was really rooted in that benchmark analysis and then also my, my big world tour at the beginning. But there's a lot that's worked. There are some challenges that were faced, of course, as part of the pandemic. But I think, you know, another area that, that we could talk about, if you like, is just around, um, you know, some of the people and culture activities, because that's been a really, really important part of this as we talk about sales development, kind of having a, a strong sense of pride and being an ambassador and a feeder to the rest of your organization versus sometimes I think at many companies, it can be viewed as the underdog in a sales organization. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Please expound upon that. That's excellent. Sure. Yes. So I, I would say, I mean, you know, a big piece of what we worked on was just really instilling that sense of pride, as I had mentioned. I think there was an element of that and, and a vibrancy that wasn't always there across every single place. In some of our centers, you had it. In some of them, you don't. And I think that can be one of the most crippling parts of an organization. I'm generally just really passionate about people and culture. I want to build and work in organizations that are at the envy of every other team. Um, and so I just, you know, anytime you walk into a sales center and you meet one of the digital sales development team members, I want people to just feel that excitement and that pride and that energy. So um, over the past year and a half, we've done a few things to just um, introduce that into the organization and infuse it. And the main area that we were able to do that through was by creating something called the People First Ambassadors. So basically, across the globe within my organization, we have a select group of people who are representing their geographies. Um, these are sellers who were nominated or raised their hands themselves to be an ambassador. And really, they're just focused on making this organization the best place to work and grow at IBM. So we read all of the employee surveys, we look at the engagement results, and we build plans based on what we're hearing and seeing from the team. Um, we, you know, obviously want to have a bit of fun, but it's not a, a party planning committee. We're really focused on actually moving the needle on areas to make the team feel much more deeply connected and have kind of a shared success and connected execution across the team. So as part of People First Ambassadors, we've launched a variety of different initiatives. We have our learning circles. So basically, these are virtual learning circles across the globe. If you are um, a digital development rep in North America covering the cloud business, you would be paired with a DDR covering the cloud business um, for our other seven geographies. And once a month, you'll come together, you'll have a chance to share best practices. It's really a peer virtual learning circle to have a chance to, to hear what other people across the globe are doing. So that's been really successful. We have seller and manager versions. Um, Another activity that we have is something called the Roll in 60 Seconds contest. So we've really been trying to encourage the team to build their elevator pitches. That's such an important part of being an ambassador. So we launched a contest. We encouraged anybody in the organization to record a 60-second elevator pitch of their role. 
uh, submitted it. People, you know, had a chance to win this contest and we got some incredibly creative submissions. Um, and it's been a great way to kind of teach people how to represent the role, their function, both internally and externally. Just yesterday, actually, IBM posted on LinkedIn, one of the winners of the Roll in 60 Seconds contest. So that was a really big deal for the team to have LinkedIn externally highlight our organization. Um, so that was really exciting. And then we have a variety of different other other programs. We have a you know executive coaching program where the top talent can have a one-on-one coaching session with a different executive at the company. We have something called Selfie Fridays. We're on our Slack channel. Everybody posts a picture of whatever they're doing on that day. So just trying to have a little bit of fun and, and driving the people and culture aspect within the organization. That's so awesome. And obviously, this uh, inclusion is something that you're incredibly passionate about. And, and specifically, getting more women into sales, I know we've talked about in the past. Do, do you have any tips for the listeners um, of how, how to attract or retain these kinds of diverse sellers? That's a great question. And and I appreciate you asking because it's also so important. I think a lot of times we hear so much about getting diverse people or women into STEM, but we don't really hear about getting them into sales. And unfortunately, I mean, women are underrepresented across every level of sales. According to Gartner, it's the second largest gender equity gap across supply chain. And it's across every single level. The higher up you go, the worse it gets. But we don't hear enough about this. Um, So I've been trying to draw attention to this important issue. I've published articles in Forbes on why we need more women in sales, why women should consider roles in sales. Um, So there's a lot of different things that I think companies can do. On the recruitment side or the attract side, um, you got to really ask yourself some questions. I mean, for example, are your job descriptions attractive and inclusive? Um, you you have to really redline your job descriptions and make sure that they're not unintentionally masculine. If you do a Google search, you'll probably see a lot of aggressive language on sales job descriptions like compete or killer sale. Uh, some job descriptions for sales even specify they're looking for candidates with people uh, for who have you know competitive sports team backgrounds. So obviously that could be really off-putting to women, for example. Um, and you have to think about if you're recruiting in the right places. I've found that some of the best hires I've ever made have come from really non-traditional places. For example, military. Um, you know, veterans tend to have a really strong sense of pride and camaraderie and teamwork. They're quick on their feet. Uh, women can be found in a lot of real estate or HR recruiter roles or retail store employees. There are so many women in those fields who are exercising strong sales abilities. Um, So I encourage people to just try some of those avenues instead of the typical places you might be looking um, and making sure you're also coming across as balanced in the interview process, Um, you know, making sure that the interview panel actually has women on it so that candidates can see, you know, if I can see it, I can be it type of concept. So those are some of the, the ideas to change the trajectory of recruitment of women and then on the retention side, I mean, I think that that's the thing that kind of keeps me up because there's no point making progress and getting women in the door if you're not fostering an environment where they can thrive and succeed when they get there. And a lot of companies fall into the trap of hiring women but not investing enough in developing them, which can be really costly. So 
Um, a few things people can do. I think, you know, creating career development programs tailored for women. And as part of that, pairing them with a mentor, preferably a strong female leader, show them different career paths within your company, you know, foster community. You could have an employee resource group. I have the pleasure of co-chairing the women at IBM group in New York. And it's really inspiring to, you know, be connected with like-minded women um, and then also things like making sure your sales perks and recognition are things that are valued by women. So, you know, you have a sales contest, maybe having the prize be tickets to a basketball game might not be very enticing for a woman. Maybe just consider <laughs> offering a cash award, for example. Um, so sure. all of those little things, I think they really add up and kind of combine into the type of culture you want to have. And you have to just almost take a look at your entire process left to right and start to redline it and think about where you need to make improvements. Uh, those are so many good examples there of both, like you said, how, how to attract, but also retain um, diverse sellers. It's such a uh, an important thing to adjust. I guess like one of, one of the questions I have, Rocky, and this is a, one of the difficulties I, I assume, um, you know, you're, you're seeing and you're uh, encountering when you're talking to, to folks about this, but um, how, how do you break down that ultra macho boys, boys club kind of sales floor and, and all, all that, you know exactly what I'm talking about culture-wise, right? And it, to your point, it's a big change management uh, piece there. The organization has to want to change and, and has to um, see another path. But yeah, are there any like any practical steps we can provide to, toward breaking that down or changing that, that old mantra? Yeah, that's that's a really important one. And I think, you know, the first one is even just using gender inclusive language in the office. I mean, similar to the suggestion I made around redlining your job descriptions and eliminating masculine language on those, you got to even think about that in the office. So don't talk about Joe or Harry crushing their quota, for example. Um, Those little things, I think, can make a difference. And the way that your office is even set up, is it you know, aligned with a lot of sporting things? Do you have like basketball hoops all over the place? It's just those things can just visually make a huge difference. Um, Even on your website, for example, are the pictures that you're showcasing, are you showing women? Are you showing diverse people? Or is it just a bunch of the men on your team? So I think, you know, just some of those things can make a really big difference. But honestly, the fastest and easiest way to change Um, What you just described is by hiring more women leaders. Um, There's a lot of studies and statistics that show that the compounding effect is when you have women leaders, women tend to hire other women. Um, So there was a recent report that showed that most sales teams that are led by men have about 75% men and 25% women. Sales teams that are led by women have more of a 50-50 split. So there's a benefit to bringing in women at the senior levels of your organization, even if you don't have a 50-50 split across every single level. When you have them at the leadership level, I think that really helps to start to set the tone of what you want the organization to look like. That's excellent. Love it. We've talked about a lot, obviously, on, I mean, from soup to nuts of the evolution of the the DSO or DSD role. 
Is there anything that we should spend more time on or uh, maybe didn't cover to the greatest degree? Is there anything else that we're missing? Well, you know, I guess just to close off on the diversity piece, a lot of people ask me, in addition to some of those tips, what are some of the tangible things that can be done um, to change the trajectory? And my biggest piece of advice is to make it a business priority, just like everything else. Um, And I know that can be hard, it can be daunting, but it's so important to Make sure that you're being really transparent about where you're at in the journey. Um, I'm really proud that IBM actually publishes their diversity statistics and their gender statistics. It's a great way to hold people accountable within the industry. And if people don't know what your starting point is, how are you going to really make that incremental progress? So I think we talk a lot about some of these topics, but the best way to really make change is by having it be a business priority, just like everything else, where you have a set of metrics, you have goals, you're working toward them on any given month. You look at it regularly. Are you red? Are you yellow? Are you green? Do you have an action plan? Um, and make sure that your executive leadership is accountable for it. That's you know another area that that I really praise IBM. I mean, all of our executives have that as a component of of our pay. Um, And our CEO, our SVPs, they're looking at this on a very regular basis to make sure that everybody's sort of doing their part. So uh, if you don't already have something like that within your organization, maybe propose it or, you know, create a scorecard for diversity so that you can really make sure that it's a business priority across the team. Standard metrics, hold them accountable, start with the benchmarking. I mean, we're all used to all this, so that's excellent. Yeah. Awesome advice. So as we as we wrap up, Rocky, uh, have you given any thought to who might be good to come on the show if we were to uh, to ask? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't suggest a couple of women. <laughs> so um, there's, there's two people who come to mind. The first is a woman named Debbie Dunham. Um, Debbie is the B2B sales leader at Dropbox, and she was previously my boss at Microsoft when I mentioned I was working as the chief of staff to a corporate vice president for worldwide inside sales. So she led that team and has um, an incredible uh, a career path and experience on building and scaling really high-performing teams across Microsoft, Dropbox, ServiceSource, Cisco, and other places. And the second suggestion I would make is Lori Richardson. She is the CEO of a company called Score More Sales. So she helps leaders of B2B companies solve problems with their sales teams. But She's also hugely passionate about getting more women into sales. She has an organization called Women Sales Pros and is the host of a podcast called Conversation with Women in Sales. Um, So I think both of those uh, suggestions would be great additions at some point on your podcast. They absolutely would. That's perfect. Perfect. I mean, Debbie's Debbie's resume is, is staggering. I mean, she's worked at I think all of the fortune organizations out there, it's insane. <laughs> and, yes. uh, and actually I know, I know Lori very well. Lori's great. Um, so yes, we absolutely should have both of them on. Very much appreciated. Um, how can people get connected with you? What's the best way? Well, the best way to, would be to find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. It's just at Rocky Voria. You can also follow my articles on Forbes. So I have a Forbes business development council page where uh, as you mentioned, I write about many of the topics that we discussed today. 
Um, so those would be the best ways to stay in touch, but I'm really looking forward to connecting with this community and hopefully meeting some other like-minded people who are passionate about diversity, passionate about building high-performing sales teams, and uh, people who can maybe give me some tips too. Uh, I don't know about that, but yeah, that's excellent. I appreciate that, Rocky. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Um, we'll have to have you back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.